where Dr. Rutland was the president of Southeastern University, men of God who was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and who was an intellectual who loved God and loved the Word. He highly has influenced my preaching, my life. Uh, he's just been a blessing to my life. And, and there's something that he always said. He says, seek wisdom and seek anointing. Seek wisdom and seek anointing. But if you have to sacrifice one over the other, take the anointing, but seek wisdom. You don't have to sacrifice it. God wants you to know his word and know and have a reason for why you believe what you believe. And he instilled in me a passion to know the word and to know the presence of God. We live in a culture where seldom those things exist in one place. We live in a culture where it seems where one place kind of champions the presence and the passion and the fire of God, and another would just champion good doctrine and good intellectualism within the Scriptures. I don't believe that they have to be exclusive. I believe that God intends for those things to be married, for good doctrine and the fire and passion for His Word to be present in the life of every believer. Uh, and I believe that Dr. Jim Thacker exemplifies that. He, he is, um, uh, has been inspirational in my understanding of the kingdom of God and understanding the mission of God to me. And it's a privilege for us to uh, partner with him in ministry and to have him with us today. Would you welcome him with me today? Amen. Let me get you a mic, Pastor. I'll get you a mic here. Morning. Here you go, sir. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you here today and to share with you in the presence of the Lord. Wasn't that worship wonderful this morning? At several points, I was doing the most I could do to keep from flying out. I thought, Lord, I got to preach today, so don't let me fly out today. (laughs) But uh, I was sensing, you know, when you live in places that are like demonic hell holes, and the worship is somehow sometimes a bit stifled, particularly when it's not in your own native language. Hmm. And uh, you come into a church, and they're worshiping God from their hearts. I did in America like this. In English, I know that doesn't mean much to you. It means a lot to me. It, I'm just like, woohoo! it's good. It's all good. And I'm just like, I want to absorb all of this I can because when I go back, it will be different again. Hallelujah. But it's excellent. Thank you for inviting us, Pastor Carlos, to be here today to share in the presence of the Lord that is here and to be able to share our vision for missions in Africa. We are Jim and Meg Thacker. And we are missionaries to Africa serving in the country of Madagascar. I bring you greetings from my wife, Meg. She could not be here with me today because our eldest daughter just two weeks ago had our, our third, no, our fourth, but first granddaughter. So my wife is out there with her right now with our oldest daughter, helping her with the baby, enjoying every moment she can before we will be going back overseas again. How I mean, you know that's a wonderful thing, and she needs to be right there. I was there all last week with my daughter and my granddaughter, and now I'm here today. And I had a hard time getting here today, but God had it, and we did make it. And uh, for once, I, I thought when I got my razor, my, my bag didn't make it from Springfield, Missouri. So when I got here, I thought I was going to do the Don Johnson thing, you know, kind of look like Miami Vice with a five-day, you know, gray. But I, I found a razor at Walmart, and I took care of it anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> Very happy to be here with you. You are, many of you will be familiar with Madagascar because of the movies, right? Madagascar, the animated movies, Madagascar 1, 2, 3, where they have on there King Julian, the lemur. And uh, we have lemurs with us here today on our display. And... Uh, Madagascar is an island country that's 250 miles, located 250 miles off the southeast coast of Africa. And it has one of the fastest growing populations in 
Africa today. To give you a little perspective on just how big Madagascar is, if you could position it in the United States, because a lot of people, when they think island, they think something small. Madagascar is anything but small. It's the fourth largest island in the world. And to give you that perspective, if you could position it in the U.S. from north to south, Madagascar would stretch approximately from Minneapolis, Minnesota in the north to Houston, Texas in the south. I mean, that's a big piece of real estate. It's over a thousand miles long, has many, many people there who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Madagascar, according to the World Bank, is an extremely needy country, as according to them, it's the sixth poorest nation in the world, in which an average family will only make and has to live on a dollar a day, less than $400 a year is what the average. So survival mentality is what prevails because of the great needs of the people in that island. It's also a very spiritually needy country as the vast majority of people are spiritually lost, bound under the negative influence of several false demonic religions, such as animism, where the people, the vast majority of the people in Madagascar are animists. They worship the spirits of their dead ancestors through the medium and control of witch doctors, and also because of the negative influence of Islam, which is being spread throughout the island by Muslims from the northern part of the country. And because of these things, Madagascar is a very spiritually dark place. As of the 24 tribes, the people that live there, the vast majority are unreached, many having no access to the gospel. God has called Meg and I to address these needs through evangelizing the lost and unreached through church planting. And the way we accomplish this is by raising up and multiplying leaders, effective leaders, to be equipped with our ministry DNA, with our leadership focus, and with our kingdom strategy for reaching unreached people groups, and then to go into the most unreached areas of Madagascar and then plant the church there. Because of this kingdom strategy, Pastor Carlos and I are, have a passion together about the kingdom of God. And I believe even as you study the word of God through the teachings of Jesus and others, you'll find that there's very clear how he wanted us to reach the lost in this world. Through his, it's his kingdom he wants extended and established. So we use what we believe is God's kingdom strategy through churches, multiplying churches or replicating churches in a way that many, many people come to know Jesus Christ. And through this process, in the last three years, God has helped my wife and I to plant 52 new churches in areas that were previously unevangelized. Yes, you can clap for the Lord. It's okay. He won't run away when he hears those claps. Previously unevangelized, and five of those churches were planted in the Muslim north. Now, that's an area we're not just waiting for the Muslims to come to us. We're taking Jesus to the Muslims. And the Muslims are receiving Jesus Christ. So God is building his church. All that is being accomplished in Madagascar, what God is helping us to impact people's lives. But all that's being accomplished is only possible because of people and churches just like you who are willing to help us by partnering with our ministry in three strategic areas. One, we need new monthly support and increased monthly support 
from our supporting churches. The reason that is is because the prices uh, for our budget keeps going up because inflation keeps going up. You know, that's one of the things I'm always excited when I get back to the United States for how cheap it is to live here compared to most other countries in the world. Like, I go to a gas station, and I almost always have a Pentecostal shouting, to, uh, praising time every time I go, and I see written on that $1.99. It's like, woohoo! Oh, what a glorious day this is! Because in Madagascar, it's between 5 and $6 a gallon of gas. So you see, it takes a lot of resources to be able to build God's church around the world. And because of that, we always have to raise new support to help with our increased work funding. Also, we also need prayer support. How many know prayer moves the hand of God? And God moves the world. So as God's people pray, great things can happen. And we encourage you to pray. Some people like to call these prayer cards. I call them prayer reminders. Their purpose is is to remind you not how much older we look from the last card you received, but rather to remind you to pray for the Thacker family and their ministry in Africa. So we'd ask you to please place these. They have them on the uh, table back there at the back of the church. If you'd like to, take these with you when you leave today, as many as you want. Put them in places of your home where you pray. And then as God brings you to our heart, just Pray for the Thacker family. We'd greatly appreciate that. You might say, well, really? Do you really need prayer? Or as you said, talk about prayer because you want to soften talking about money. No. We talk about prayer because prayer changes things. Let me tell you a story quickly by way of testimony to give you an example of that. When we were missionaries in the country of Burundi, my wife and I had gone into the country of Burundi to open up the Assembly of God work in that country because of our, our specific church planning strategy we use. It's, a, it's like uh, I'd, I'd use the technical term, which is called church planning movements, but a lot of people are not familiar with that. So we call it our kingdom strategy for church planting. We went in there. God helped us to plant 42 new churches in the time that we were there. Lots of people coming to know Jesus. In the midst of that, how many know Satan's never happen, happy when great things are happening for God? And how many know Satan's not going to stand by and say, whoa, God's got this thing, I'm out of here? No. How many know Satan comes back fighting harder than ever before? And if you've been in ministry any length of time, you know that's a fact. So here, we were there doing this, and one day I went down to go pay some utility bills in downtown in the capital, and my wife was at the house alone. Five men came to the gate, knocked and told the, our gardener who was there that he's a police officer and they need to get on the property. And we've all, and our gardener foolishly let them on. As soon as they got on the property, they knocked him out. Four of them had machine guns. One had a hand pistol. They went into the house where my wife was by herself. And they, the biggest man who was a Tutsi man who was about seven foot tall, they're very tall African people, he grabbed my wife. He's about four, 350 pounds. He grabbed my wife by her throat, threw her against the wall, pinned her there, stuck the revolver in her face, and said, now we're going to take whatever we want. Now, I ask you this question. What would you do if you were put into that situation? How many know that's when you hope somebody is remembering your family in prayer? As it was, miraculously, there was a lady in Salem, Ohio, who had one of our prayer cards, who prayed for us on a regular basis. God woke her up at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, pray for Meg Thacker. She is in danger. She needs God's help. And she began to pray. And, and at the same time, Meg is pinned against the wall with this man with his hand around her throat and a gun in her face. 
And as that lady began to pray, his hand began to shake. My wife was so scared that she was going to get shot by accident because his trigger finger was on that as well while he was shaking. And then he kept looking around my wife. He kept looking at my wife. and She's against the wall. There's nothing behind her. And he keeps looking. He thought, what? And then all of a sudden, his whole body began to shake. And the next thing, whoo, she, he runs out the door, tells the other four with the machine guns, runs for your lives, run for your lives. And they're all looking at him, run for our lives from what? There's nobody here but a woman. And we have the guns. What are you worried about? He said, no, no, no. There's a big guy in there. He's about 10 foot tall. And he's got a big sword in his hand. And he's pointing it at me. Now, I can't tell you what happened. One, I wasn't there. And two, I didn't see it. But how many know Hebrews? The book of Hebrews tells us God uses his angels as ministering spirits. And we have even entertained angels unaware. I mean, oh, God can use those same angels to take care of the people of God. And so God helped my wife. He ran away. The whole five of them ran away. No, she wasn't hurt in any way. No, they didn't take anything. I mean, no, that's what happens when God's people pray. So we thank you for remembering the Thacker family in prayer. And also, we want to thank you for remembering us to help with cash offerings for our visionary church planning project. For you see... We have a burden to help these new churches that we are planting to grow faster by building new church buildings for them. In, in Africa, we can build a church for $7,500. Now, I know you cannot do that in the United States, but we can build a building that will seat 300 people African style for seven, and that's the way we always sit is African style. For $7,500. And our goal is to raise the funds necessary to build 20 new church buildings when we return to the country of Madagascar. For this, to, for us to be able to realize that goal, we need your help. We need visionary supporters like Gideon's visionary army of 300. In Judges chapter 7, verses 4 through 25, God surrounded Gideon with an army of 300 visionary supporters to help him fulfill the vision that God had given him of bringing deliverance and salvation to the nation of Israel. We are also asking for 300 visionary people and churches to join hands with us and our ministry by giving a one-time cash gift of $500 each so that we can fulfill our vision of bringing evangelism, church planting, and spiritual transformation to the people of Africa. So we ask you, will you please help Meg and I continue to build the church in Africa by supporting our ministry and by becoming one of those visionary 300? Thank you, and God bless you for allowing us to share that vision with you. I also want to thank this church, The Rock, in Oregon, because your church has been supporting our ministry on a monthly basis for a very long, I don't even know how long, Pastor Carlos. I know as long as you've been here. I don't know. I think even longer, pre, pre you, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, when Keith was here, you were supporting our ministry. And so uh, we just want to say, Meg and I want to say thank you. But you know, when missionaries come to your church, you know, they always need resources to be able to do and fulfill the vision that God has given them. How many know it takes money to, to get things accomplished? We all know that. It takes money for you to be able to eat your meal today, right? When you leave the church, you're going to need money. So it's just the way life works and the way God's kingdom works. But 
Meg and I decided when we came home this time, we didn't want to be the missionaries who only ask for money, but we wanted to be the ones who give you money in return. And here in my hand is legal tender from the country of Madagascar. This is a hundred note in their currency, which is called Ari Ari. An Ari Ari. And so we want to give this to anyone who would like to have it today. We have it on our display. You're welcome to take it with you for free. And um, as you take this, please take this, receive this as a token of our appreciation of your, cheer, your support, your church's support, because we could not do what we do without you. We are a team. We are partners together. Everything that happens in, in Madagascar, those 52 churches that were planted are only possible because of us working together. So those 52 new churches are your churches. You helped to make it possible in the kingdom of God. You and us together were able to accomplish what we could not have done apart. So this is just a token of our appreciation. Please feel free to take it if you would like. But I just warn you, some of you will say, wow, $100. I'm going to go out and buy the biggest steak I can right after church day. Now, let me give you a little, little word of warning. Uh, when you ex- put this in through foreign exchange from RERE to U.S. dollar, uh, Meg and I like to put it this way. We like to give you our two cents worth because when you, when you do the exchange, foreign exchange, it's only worth 3.5 U.S. cents. So don't go and buy a big steak. You might be washing dishes before you leave. So, uh, but please feel free to take this and let it serve as a reminder of our ministry in Madagascar. Amen. Now, with the time that we have left, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I love the powerful truth that the Apostle Paul presents in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when he declares, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Paul was not ashamed because he understood and knew from experience that the gospel has great power to save and to impact lives for the better. Through the same verse, God also wants us to realize and experience that the gospel has awesome power, and it can help us in our lives by delivering our lives from spiritual darkness, from life-challenging problems, from personal pain. To help us better understand this truth, I will share three, well, today, because of time, I will share one or two reasons which illustrate that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First, the gospel is the power of God because it can change and transform lives. I've had the privilege of traveling to many countries of the world, especially within Africa, And I can tell you with certainty that everywhere that I have gone, everywhere the gospel is shared or preached, people's lives will be transformed. And that's because the gospel is the power of God. There's an anointing on God's message, the gospel. How many know God had it set from the beginning? Jesus has a kingdom. He wants that kingdom to be expanded on the earth. He gave us the gospel. The gospel is his message that changes lives, and it's anointed already by his power. It's even more helpful if the vessel is anointed in the process. Like you said, if you're going to go for wisdom and or anointing, take anointing. But God's message is already anointed. 
because it's his purpose to see lives transformed. And even societies can be changed for the better because of the power of the gospel has an influence in people's lives collectively as they grow and change and become all that God wants them to be. People have suggested that Madagascar is a classic example of culture gone wrong because their leaders did not build their society on the foundation of biblical truth which comes from the teachings of the word of God. Rather, they built their society on their own negative cultural values. And therefore, this is in part the societal reasons why today underage children are being trafficked in the country of Madagascar for sexual exploitation and prostitution. This is also why the World Health Organization tells us that Madagascar has one of the highest rates of sexually transmitted diseases in any country in Africa, and that's saying something. That is really saying something. That is also why entire areas of Madagascar are given over to lawlessness in which they are called by the government, it calls them the red zones. And these zones are where neither the police nor the army have control of the area, but rather thieves and bandits and desperados whose only motive is to rob, steal, and kill. The people of Madagascar are desperate to have their lives and their society changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And the good news is it can happen through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One example of how God can change and transform lives is found in the story of a man who was a master thief in Madagascar whose name was Babele. I told you uh, they are I told you just previously that there are areas in Madagascar that are given over to lawlessness. They're called the red zones. In those red zones live certain tribes, and those tribes value different things than we do as Christians and people even in our own country. And and some of the tribes in Madagascar, people actually uh, teach their children the, the, the greatest their greatest hope of a mom and dad for their child is to grow up to be one of two things. And this is the facts. They don't want them to grow up to be a thief or an assassin. Now, how would you like to live in an area where all the villages in that tribal area, everybody is a thief or an assassin? Now, I'm not talking about downtown Cleveland. I saw that look in your eye there when I said that, Carlos. No, I'm talking about Madagascar. And imagine... And so if you want to reach the height of success in your society, then you need to become what they call the master thief, the one who can steal better than anyone else. One such a man in the village of Carianza was a man by the name of Babele. He was recognized throughout his tribe, not just in his village, but across all their tribal area as the greatest of all the thieves. One, he could steal more and had stolen more than anybody else and never got caught. Two, he had made, mastered a scheme where he would go in with a group of guys with machine guns. They would go in to a neighboring tribal area, kill everybody, man, woman, and child in a village, wipe them out and steal everything they had, mow them down with machine guns, and just take all of their stuff back. And the army and the police cannot apprehend him, cannot catch him. Talk about a desperado. That's the guy that became the model for all other children in that tribal area. He was the Michael Jordan. He was the one that everybody thought, wow, he's reached the pinnacle of success. I want my child to be like him when they grow up. Can you imagine that? And so we, I told you, do church planting. 
we do evangelism through church planting. We, we go out and plant a church and lead people to Jesus, and then immediately there's a pastor to disciple the new converts to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we went into the village of Carianza. We did not know that Babeli, the master thief, lived there. And on the first day, our church planter went in to preach and began sharing Jesus. You have to understand, these people don't know Jesus. Where we go, many of the areas, Jesus has never, the name of Jesus has never been heard. So we're literally taking Jesus into places where they cannot use his name as a curse word because they've just, they don't even know who Jesus is. They have no reason to know Jesus. Who is Jesus? So we're in there preaching, and this is one of those areas. And so our church planter began to preach on the first day, and everybody in the area came to hear him preach. And you might say, wow, isn't that great to see spiritual hunger for God? No, they weren't hungry for God. They showed up because, hey, Hey, a brand new Mark has just moved into town, and we don't even have to go to another tribal area to steal something. Someone was stupid enough to come to us, and we'll steal from him right here. Hey, that's what they call takeaway. So they're going to have takeaway right there, and the guy says, he's going to get taken advantage of. So he starts preaching Jesus, and Babeli shows up that day, the first day, and when all the other thieves saw Babeli, they all back up because the master always gets the priority. And he starts listening to him preach. And our church planner started preaching the gospel. If you will repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your Savior because you are a sinner and God died for you. Jesus shed blood to free you. He'll take away the loneliness that's in your life. He'll fill your life with joy and peace. For the first time, he'll give your life meaning. Well, Babeli turned to his, the men around him and said, how does he know who I am? Has, has, did any of you tell him about me? Because the whole, he's hearing his life story being told. Even though Babeli on the outside had everything the society said would make you successful and desirable. I mean, you know, we got a whole bunch of people like that in America. On the outside, it looks like they've got it all. But on the inside, they're lonely, they're empty, they're hurting, and they do not know where to turn to find reality, something meaningful in life. They have everything the world says is important, but inside they're still empty and lonely and can't understand why they're not happy. That's what Babeli was. He was a man empty on the inside without joy and peace. He's a man who was not receiving any satisfaction from the things he stole, or he was not content with the life he was living. So as our preacher began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, like an arrow being launched from a bow, pounded its mark right in his heart. And begin to be convicted. He said I want to hear this man several more days. So he kept coming back. He told all the other thieves do not touch him. This one is mine. So he had two more days. He kept coming back preaching and sharing this message. On the third day. The Bailey could not stand it any longer. When our church planter gave an invitation for people to receive Jesus. The Bailey was the first one to go forward. And everyone said, watch what the master's going to do. That poor sucker, he doesn't even know what's going to happen. He's going to be, everything will be stripped and gone before he knows it. And that will be the end of that guy. But when the Bailey got in front of our church planter, he grabbed his hand and forced him to put it on his head and said, now if this Jesus can do half of what you say that he can do, then I'm willing to commit my life to him. On that day, the master thief, Babeli, committed his life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus came into his life in a radical way and transformed him. 
from that moment, Babeli no longer wanted to steal anything. He didn't want to kill anyone. All he wanted to do was tell other people about Jesus and his love. Oh, my. And in a village, in an area among a tribal group where everybody is an assassin or a thief, and you're talking about loving people, and you're talking about not stealing, and you're talking about not killing. How many you know that's a gospel they don't want to hear? They don't want to hear. They tried to kill him. Another assassin was put on Babele. We rushed him out of the area and put him in another city where we had a church planter training school. Babele said, no, I want to go back to my people. No, 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 no. You must wait. This is not a safe time for you. If you'll go to this school here, we have church planter school. If you go to the church planter school and at the end of it, if you still feel God wants you, we'll help you go back and plant a church. He went through our church planter school faster than any other student, and he was ready to go back. He went right back to his same tribal area in another village, and he went in with this message. Uh, Pastor Carlos, the theology was a little rough, but that's okay. He went in and said, hey, you all know me. I'm Bailey. I'm the master thief. Remember me? You're the, I'm the guy you want all your children to be like, right? Well, listen to what I have to tell you. I found and met a thief who was even better than me. And his name is Jesus. And he's so powerful that he stole my heart. And with that message, he began to preach Jesus Christ. Today, he has a church of over 300 former assassins and thieves who are now committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hi, friend. That's the power of the gospel. Don't tell me people can't be changed. They can be changed. If God, through the power of the gospel, could change Babeli's life, a murderer, a thief, a man committed to evil, and then God could change his life. How many know he can save people right here in Oregon right now? I want to tell you a story, and this is getting past my time. I was sitting there last night in, in where I was in a hotel. I came in, flew in from Springfield, Missouri, and then into Columbus and drove up here. And I got laid into a hotel, and there was about midnight. I heard a man and a woman come into the room right beside me. And then I, I was, I don't know why I was up that late. I shouldn't have been, shh, you didn't hear that. Anyway, I was up that late. And then I started hearing this lady. She went into the bathroom and just cried, sobbing and sobbing. And, and, and I thought, how many people are all around us? Their lives, especially in the holiday seasons, their lives, they're searching for something that's real. They're searching for something that's meaningful. They're searching for something that can satisfy their soul. And they've tried to fill it with everything else. And it's not enough. They're empty. They're lonely. They're hurting. They may have people around them, but they don't have Jesus. They don't have the love of God. They don't have the forgiveness that only God can offer to give them a brand new start. We are people who are forgiven and we can rejoice in the goodness of God. But so many are hungering for something more. We are the hope of the world with the message of Jesus Christ. With the gospel is so powerful, it can save people just like that who need something real in their lives this Christmas season. Let's tell other people about Jesus. Let's not worry about whether they say yes or no. Let's just share the love of Jesus with them and watch the power of the gospel do what only the gospel can do. Begin to save and to begin to transform lives so the greatest Christmas gift they could ever receive they may have in the person of salvation through Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Let's share that gospel. If God can change Babeli, God can change anybody. Amen. Hallelujah. And with a short time, I'll end with this one story. God also, the gospel is the power of God because it can break 
and overcome the devil's hindrances in people's lives. And I'm just going to end with this story because of time. We had uh, in Madagascar, I told you, the the more people, 82% of the population are animists, meaning they worship the spirits of their dead ancestors through the medium and control of witch doctors. The witch doctors serve as the mouthpiece between the living and the dead to tell them what the elders, the, the ancestors, they worship. They worship their ancestors out of fear. Because if they don't appease them with food offerings and doing things the way they want it done, they will curse them, and then their children will die, their crops will fail. Then in, a, in a country so poor, they can't afford anything like that to happen. So they cry out to the ancestors to bless them, and these witch doctors tell them what to do. So these witch doctors are feared because if they don't get, help you get that blessing, you're done. It's done. And they walk in abject fear of these witch doctors. And these witch doctors are also powerful creatures because how many know when you worship anything that's not God, there's always a, a, a spiritual tag attached to it. Some people say this. Some people say that. I just say that what the Bible says. There are no such thing as idols. There are no such things as false gods. There's only demons who parade as false gods and idols so whatever people worship that's not god it brings a spiritual demonic presence with it are you all with me so when it comes to these witch doctors they are powerful because they carry demonic power not the power of god but demonic power so some of these guys are known to be really tough dudes and so in our church planner training school we had one of these students now. He's a crazy guy, sort of like me. I liked him a lot. You know, I, you have to know my background. I was a Green Beret at the end of Vietnam, and, and I was in Special Forces for a total of 16 years. So I've learned a few skills along the way that really have come in handy as a missionary in Africa, quite honestly. <laughs> Don't ask me any questions about why that is. But uh, so we had one of these guys in our church fire training school. He was just like, you know, send me to the hardest place. Send me to where the people are the most resistant. Send me to where the witch doctors are the meanest and the most powerful. That's where I want to go. I thought, wow, sort of like a, a Jason Bourne kind of spirit in this guy. It's my kind of guy. I like him. I resonate with that guy. And so we sent him to this village, the village where it was known to be one of the worst, strongest witch doctors in the whole country of Madagascar. His name was Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude had a reputation of being powerful. In his area, there were no churches of any kind, as I like to say, of any denomination or abomination. They did not exist there because he would not allow them. No Catholic, no nothing, no churches of any kind in his area. He wouldn't allow it. And so we send our church planter into that area. And he began to preach. As soon as the witch doctor, Jean-Claude, heard that our church planter had arrived, he put out a a, a fetish. If you know anything about spiritistic religions, they'll gather material together and create this fetish, and then they'll put curses on it and send it to you so that when it arrives at your door, it's sort of like a lawyer in the United States. they, They hand it to you and say, now you have been served. That's to let you know that their evil power, the witch doctor's power is against you, and that's to help create fear in your heart for what's about to happen. Well, our church planner received his fetish, and the fetish was that his family, everything would start falling apart, problem after problem, sickness, and you'll leave the area within three weeks. But our church planner, his wife and his children, they came together because we trained them to stand in spiritual warfare because that's a lot of what we do. So we prayed and said, let's, let's pray together. And he prayed with his wife and children that the curse of the witch doctor would be broken. And they prayed. And one week went by, two weeks went by, three weeks went by, 
Nothing at all happened. And the people who knew the witch doctor had put the fetish on him, the curse, and when they saw three weeks had gone by and nothing had happened, then you could see, ooh, is it possible that this Jesus might be more powerful than our witch doctor? Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. So then the witch doctor, when he found out his curse had been broken, put out a second fetish. And he said that curse was whoever attends his meetings... If you attend, your children will die. Well, how many know if you mess with someone's children? Now, that's getting real personal. And a lot of people begin to pull back from listening to our church planter preach for fear of their family. But our church planter told the others, if you will stay with me and pray together, you will see that our Jesus is more powerful than your witch doctor. Nothing will happen to your children if we stand together in prayer. Some of them stayed and they prayed. One week went by. Two weeks went by, three weeks went by. Not a single child of the people who had stayed had gotten sick, not even close to dying, never even got sick. So when Jean-Claude found out that his curses had been broken, he decided it was time to take matters into his own hand. So he starts to come that day to throw our church planner and his family out of town to drive them out physically, and he's coming. Our church planter got the word that Jason Bourne, that the witch doctor was coming. He prayed, God, what do you want me to do? I believe in you, and I need you. I believe in a big God, and now is the moment I need a big God to be here with me. I mean, sometimes it's got to have a big God. We need big, we need big God prayers, and we need to believe the big God can answer those prayers. And he prayed, said, God, what do you want me to do? And the Holy Spirit immediately spoke to him and said, I, I want you to know the witch doctor is coming not because he's angry with you, but it's for my glory. I'm, I'm allowing this to happen so I can demonstrate my glory to all of these people. So he said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He said, I'll tell you what to do when the time is right. And he said, well, how do you know God never seems to answer right away? And when you need that answer, then our church planner was a little nervous about that. But then here it shows, John Claude shows up on the day he was out preaching. All the people begin to run away because of fear of the witch doctor. And here comes Jean-Claude right down. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like a standoff at the OK Corral. Do, 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 do. They're all lining up to look at one another. And then he starts, Jean-Claude starts walking. Jean-Claude starts walking down. And, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to our church planter and said, all I want you to do is raise your hand and say Jesus. That's all I want you to do. Just say Jesus. So when the church planner got about as far as where you are, sir, from where I'm standing, our church planner raised his hand and said, Jesus. And when he did that, the church, the, the witch doctor, Jean-Claude, took one more step. Boom, he fell flat on his face, just fell to the ground. Bam, he hit it. He tried to push himself to get back up. And an unseen power held him down so he couldn't get up. And he laid there defenseless and unable to move on the ground. When all the other people who ran away saw their powerful witch doctor laying on the ground in front of our church planter, they all ran back and they threw themselves on the ground beside him and cried out, pray for us, pray for us, Jesus, help us. Because if, our, if, if your Jesus can do that to our witch doctor, We don't have a chance. So they threw themselves on the mercy of God. Every one of them accepted Jesus Christ that day. I mean, sometimes God works in love and sometimes he shows his power. And it still gets the job accomplished in the end. And in the end, and then when everyone had prayed except the witch doctor laying on the ground, then our church planter reached down, pulled the witch doctor off the ground. And this is what Jean-Claude said. All of my life, I have served the ancestors. 
and I have known their power. But today, I've experienced a power far greater than the ancestors. And from this day forward, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. He gave his heart to Jesus. Amen. And if God could break the devil's power over a witch doctor like Jean-Claude, what can he do to help us with the obstacles you and I will face in our lives today? No, my friends, I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. How many can say that with me? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Thank you for allowing your faith in God and your faith in missions as partners together with Meg and I as we have gone to Africa to see lives transformed by this powerful gospel. But Bailey's life transformed. Jean-Claude's life's transformed. Many, many others I don't have time to tell you today. You are helping to make that happen. Thank you for praying for us, and thank you for supporting our ministry. Pastor, will you come? Oh, bless God. Amen. Wow, incredible, huh? Isn't that incredible? 94 churches in Burundi and in Madagascar, 42 and 52. It's 94 churches. Isn't it amazing what God does? Father, we just thank you so much for the work that you've done uh, in Madagascar and in Burundi, and we know it's the work of your Holy Spirit, the work of the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Bailey, Jean-Claude, and for countless others who were not mentioned, who uh, once served demons and now serve Jesus. Thank you for reminding us of the need of your power. God, I thank you today for all these things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I wanted to to give... uh, Dr. Jim, an, an opportunity to share with us his heart and what's happening there before we just uh, before we lifted the offering, just so that you will get to know his heart and know a little bit about this missionary and what God's doing through their ministry before we gave. We we hope and we intend to send them off with an offering to bless him. And so today, as you give your tithe and your offerings and your support here, we'd like to welcome you um, to take the time if the Lord puts it in your heart to give to give towards the ministry. And so you would say, how would I write a check towards that? How would I, how would I go about that? You can, just, um, you can write missionary to Madagascar on the memo uh, or Jim Thacker, Jim, J-I-M-T-H-A-C-K-E-R. And if you would give to The Rock, but put on the memo, um, put on the memo Jim Thacker or um, um, uh, Madagascar Missions today, we would make sure to get a check out and send that uh, complete amount that's raised to, to him. And so we just want to give you the time to think about that and pray about that. At this time, I'd like to welcome the ushers. If you're here, if you will uh, come around. And come. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to give towards this ministry. I thank you that we've been supporting this ministry, that Keith, 
uh, connected with the Thackers way before me, and that we, we've been privileged to kind of just come alongside and continue here. And I just continue to ask you to bless them. Lord, uh, as we bless them financially, I pray that you would give us a heart uh, not only to do that, but also to pray for them regularly, regularly, God, that you would uh, use this church to stand in the gap in prayer for them and for their whole mission team, the Rastafers that are out there with them and, uh, um, and, and, and the strange family uh, that's also going over there. God, all of that group, all of that core, we thank you for a protection over them as they go about expanding your kingdom. So take this offering that we lift up, God, our tithe and our offerings and our mission support and use it for your glory. Amen. Amen. Hey, and, and as uh, that goes through, uh, would you stand with me when you, when you get a chance after, if you can, if you're able, would you stand with me today? Right now. I remember a long time ago, going to a conference with a minister by the name of Carlos Anacondia. And he was talking about how he was going to, this was in Winter Park, Florida. And he said in Winter Park, Florida is one of the most, uh, one of the wealthy communities around the Orlando area. And he said that he, it was about 10,000 people meeting in Calvary Assembly of God there in uh, Winter Park, Florida. And this minister said that he was going to pray for deliverance, that people were going to come to the altar and they were going to need deliverance. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe in Africa, maybe in Colombia, but not in Winter Park, Florida, where the average salary is, you know, out there. <laughs> it's like, it's not going to happen. Deliverance is not needed here. And I remember strongly how, you know, the time came where he made the altar call and people came to the altar and hundreds of people night after night experience delivering power of God. And I went back to school and I asked Dr. Vanderlaan, who was my teacher in systematic theology, why was that the case? How come we see these manifestations and these things in Africa, but we don't really see it in America like we, you, know, you hear about in other countries? And he would say to me in a strong Netherland accent, he said, oh, that's because the enemy doesn't want to show his cards. <laughs> and he'd laugh. And he'd say, why would the enemy... You know, why would there be manifestations like that when occur when people here are not even convinced that there is a God? A pure manifestation of the enemy would prove that there must be something else, that there must be a God. And it convicted me, my heart, of, of the reality that we need the power of God in America. Are you with me? I know that sounds silly. But we need deliverance power of God in Oregon, Ohio. It's not just having the right words. It's not just knowing the medium. It's not just connecting with the high schools and the middle schools and doing everything that we can to serve. It's understanding that we need the power of God to bring about deliverance in the hearts of men. We need that. There is no preaching of the gospel without the power of God. And you're saying today, I want, I want, I want to welcome the power of God in my life. If that's you, right where you're at, would you raise your hand? Hallelujah. Old revival preachers, you, you study revivals, and back in the days, they would preach the word, and people would just fall out in the middle of the street, like drunk people, just fall out. The power of God would do a work in their lives, and they would wake up the next day totally different. That didn't come because the medium became more important than the message. That didn't come because they knew how to connect with a culture. That came because when they preached the word, the power of God was there. 
So, Father, as we come before you, we're saying to you that we need your power and your presence. We want your power and your presence, God. So that when we say Jesus loves you, he's got a plan for your life. So that when we do serve in our community, so that when we do connect in our high schools and middle schools, when we do go out there and do everything we can to be a blessing in the city of Oregon and Toledo and Toledo area, that it would not just be community service, that it would be your presence in our lives for your glory and for your honor. God, we want to know resurrection power. Father, we want to know resurrection power, Lord. We want to know resurrection power. So today we give you permission to fill our lives. We give you permission today to fill our lives. Hallelujah. Use us, O oh God. Use us, O oh God. Use us, O oh God, we pray. Now, listen, uh, maybe you're here today, and, and I, I know that we're running past the time here, but would you just have grace with us? You're saying, you're saying you know, I'm desperate for this. I don't want to just experience it because I think it would be a cool thing, but I'm desperate for the power of God. I'm desperate. I, 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 want, I want to see God at work in my family, in my children. I want to see God at work in my community. I want that power. Paul said, I preach the gospel. From here to Illyricum, I preach the gospel. The power of God has been with me all throughout. If you're here and you're saying you're desperate for that, would you come up to the altar? We want to take the time to anoint you, to pray for you. We want to take the time to do that. I know it's running after service, but if you're here and that's just a desperation, a passion in your heart, you're saying, you know, I am desperate. There are situations right now. There are crises right now. We need the press. I need the presence of God. I want the power of God. Just want to welcome you right now to come up to the altar. Know that we're running past the time and that we have another service, but it's worth waiting on the presence of God. It's worth waiting. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for the power of God. I'm desperate for the presence of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. Dr. Dr. Thacker, as the Lord leads you, just go ahead and pray. We'll be praying here. And the altar workers who are available, we welcome you to come up and pray. And that we'll be praying here at the altar. Amen. And God bless you guys. God bless you guys. As the service is over, God bless you. Have a great week, but we'll be praying here at the altar. Thank you for joining us today.